0: I take it, that's my cue. <laughs> it is good to be with you guys this morning. I always enjoy the times I get to visit with the fold. You all have incredible praise and worship. I don't know if you really know that. I think you do. But man, I love the time to worship with you guys. Uh, Jack and Caroline are a gift, I'm just telling you. But anyway, okay, CJ is too. I'll say it for his sake. All right, there. And if you're listening, CJ, I've said it, Okay. You know, anyway, uh, I do understand we were talking a little bit about this. You guys, I think, have been talking through uh, what it means for a church as a missional community. I believe that that's right. So this morning, I want us to go back, I guess, maybe kind of to a base level of what's the mission of the church. As you read through the New Testament, you, um, you find the early beginnings of the church. You know, we learn uh, through all that, that that church, church really is God's plan A for sharing the gospel. And there really isn't a plan B. But as we read through that New Testament, those stories about those first century churches, and we find a few issues popping up, don't we? You know, you read Paul's letters to the church and he's dealing with all kinds of stuff. You know, to the church at Corinth. No, you cannot sleep with your mother in law. You know, what's even more weird is that apparently the church was okay with that. Like, really? Anyway, by the way, as a side note, but whenever I hear someone say, oh, I just want a New Testament church, I always think about the church at Corinth and when I go, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> you know, man. And then you read on over into Revelation, the church is there. You go, ouch. You know, not a glowing tribute, is it? Even getting beyond, you know, biblical texts, as you study church history, um, we see through the ages, sadly, the church not always acting her best, don't we? And if I'm really honest, there are even times now that, that, that I'll sit back and, and I want to ask God, are you really sure you want to stick with plan A? I don't ask him that because I know the answer. It would be a resounding yes. Folks, we're it. We are God's grand plan for rescuing the world by pointing them to Jesus. It's up to us. (laughs) No pressure. So what's the plan? It's actually fairly simple. There, there are two uh, basic foundational pieces I want us to talk about today. The first one is what we call the great commandment. We find this over in, um, in Matthew chapter 22, so that would be verses 37 through 40. A little background, Jesus is, has been having conversations with the Pharisees, all those religious leaders of the day. and So it's a dialogue, they're asking, it's like a Q&A with him. And so he finally, there's a question comes up and, and his response is, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. Another version says all the law and prophets hang on these two commands. Love God, love neighbor as self. Then we move over into um, to John's gospel. And this time, Jesus, is in, he's in the upper room. It's not long before the crucifixion. Judas has already left, so he's just with the 11, you know, tight-knit group. And he says to them, this is out of John chapter 13, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I've loved you you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I think we need to get these pieces right first. We love God. Heart, mind, soul. How do we do that? I was thinking about this, you know, I'm like, okay, Kathy and I have been married for 41 years. I know, bless her heart. She's great, great perseverance. Um, but 41 years, we've been married. I love her. How do I show to her that I love her? With words, sure, but not just with words. You know, I, I want to spend time with her. I want to show interest in her. I want to, to be involved in the things that she's involved in or interested in most of the time. You know, we talk to one another. You know, I talk to her, she listens. She talks to me, I listen most of the time. Some, I, we listen. Listen. Anyway, you know, I want to serve her, support her, encourage her. You know, and on and on that can go. And, and I think about some of that really translates over into how we love God, doesn't it? And when we love God, we want to spend time with him, don't we? I mean, that means spending time here. You know, reading his word, learning what he's like, what he means for us. You know, not just learning it, but actually doing what it says. You know, I want to talk to God, you know, through prayer. Now, I don't know, maybe you guys have this all figured out and have a wonderful prayer life. And if you do, man, kudos to you. Uh, I find myself, and I'm being really, really honest here, it's easy for me to give God my list of wants, needs, demands, you know, requests, you know, the laundry list. And then five to seven minutes later, I say amen, and out the door I go. (sighs) No prayers, a whole lot more than that, because this is a conversation. It's a two-way street. Yes, I am talking to God. Yes, I am doing those requests. But there's also this whole thing of praise and thanksgiving and so much more. And beyond me talking, it's also me listening. I'm listening for God. I'm listening to God. You know, there's also these action pieces of seeing where God is at and, and joining him there, being concerned about the things that concerns him. Man, being more like him. And no, we're never going to be perfect in this life. We know that. This is all, we're always striving or always trying to do but that's the point. We always must strive to be more like him because we love God. Love God. Love our neighbor as ourself. Whew. There's a whole lot in those few verses, those are a few words. I mean a whole sermon wrapped up on that. You can go back into um, into the gospel of Luke, I think it's Luke in chapter 10. He shares a similar encounter Jesus has with the Pharisees, and it's a QA, and one of the Pharisees says, Well, who is my neighbor? And he doesn't like the answer he gets. Man, but that's, again, a sermon for another day. How do we love our neighbor? How do we do that? You know, what do we do with those, and especially as you look at how Jesus defended or or described who the neighbor is in Luke, how do we do that with the people who aren't like us? You know, what does the the Muslim woman in, in her hijab know about how we love our neighbor? And I can tell you, that's a very personal one for me. We have a Muslim family that moved in two doors down from us about a year or so ago. I am keenly aware of what do I do and how do I act to show them love in appropriate cultural ways. What do they see? You know, we're in this political season, my word. You know, but here we go again. So what do you do with that person who has the exact polar opposite political opinion of you And they gladly, loudly share it, Biden lover, MAGA hat wearer. How do we love them? Maybe it starts as simply as us being a good neighbor. Maybe it's us being a good friend, a good coworker. Maybe it's kind of like Jeremiah talking to the exiles. And This is a whole Old Testament piece, um, quick history lesson. The children of Israel have been living very evil lives for a very, very, very long time. They're told over and over and over to repent, and they don't do it. And ultimately, they get hauled off into, into exile into Babylon, an incredibly pagan culture. Now, Jeremiah is one of those Old Testament prophets, and he gets a word from God for them. It was just one of those thus saith the Lord moments. And what's the word? <sighs> Seek the welfare of the city. What? Seek the welfare of the city where you are, Babylon, pagan, the people of the city. And in so doing, you find your welfare. <sighs> okay. Okay. Maybe that's what we should be doing too. We're not exiles. We're not captives. We're not hauled off somewhere. We seek the welfare of our city, the people in our city. And in doing so, we find our own welfare. And no, this does not mean that we have to be affirming every bad decision and lifestyle choice and all that other stuff. The exiles didn't. They still sought to do what was best and right for the people in the city, however pagan they may have been. Love our neighbor as ourselves. <laughs> That's a mouthful. But then we've got this passage in John. He's talking to his disciples, his close followers. You know, love one another. Actually, let me back up on that. The end of that Matthew passage, love your neighbor as yourself, as you love yourself. It's been interesting in in this post-COVID world, while it's always kind of been a thing, it seems that there is so much more emphasis these days on our mental health, and it's a good thing. We have to learn how to love ourselves in a healthy way too, don't we? If we're ever going to love someone else. That's a whole other sermon for another day. Now to John. Loving one another. I want you, and I'm being serious, I want you to look around the room. Take a minute, look at the people in this room. If we can't love the people in here, How can the people out there expect us to ever love it all? It starts here, folks, with how we love one another in this space. Love one another well. Man, you know, it's not just lip service. Talk is cheap. We all know that. It is how we act toward one another. It is how we... We support, we correct, we encourage. And by the way, I'll go ahead and put a plug in here. Your fold groups are a great place for this to happen. Seriously. And when we do that, when we love one another well, it is appealing. Others see it and they want it. I can tell you that from personal experience. I didn't grow up going to church. I was a sophomore in college, dissatisfied with life, looking for something different. Anyway, the whole story. Two upperclassmen, friends of mine, actually invited me to a Bible study at their apartment one night. I went. Who knew? Found out most of the folks who were at this Bible study were in this group I knew as the Baptist Campus Ministry. And they invited me. And I went. And there there there's this larger group of students. They were fun. They were exciting. they They were different. And they had something. And the more I was around them, the more I realized many of them were followers of Jesus. And I knew I was not. And I wanted what they had. It was appealing to me. And for folks looking at you from the outside, seeing how you love one another well, it's appealing to them too. Now that comes with a bit of a a warning. I know churches, perhaps you do too, who have a reputation that is anything but loving. Be very careful. Because that reputation sticks with them for years. What is your reputation? Individually, collectively. Another side note, by the way, if you have a Jesus sticker on your car, please do not drive like an angry idiot down 385. Now, I know it was no one at the fold. I know it was not. Just don't. You know, while I'm meddling, what do people see on your social media posts? What can others see about your habits? What's your reputation? Not just you individually. What is the reputation of the fold? Years ago, uh, I, was, I was somewhere. I was in town talking with, with a guy in the Anyway, just, you know, you know how we Southerners do. We chit-chat about nothing. And we're talking. He introduces me to a, a new co-worker of his. Just recently moved here from another region. Okay. I'd been in that area. Uh, and so we're talking. Where are you from? He tells me the name of the town. It's a little town. And I had been there about, I don't know, six months earlier. I'm like, oh, man, I've been in your town. You're kidding. So we have this, you know, you're trying to make a connection with this guy. And we're talking. And finally he goes, why were you there? Well, you know, I was up there. I've got good friends who live in, in the region and, and visiting with them. And I know a guy who lives in your town. So I wanted to go visit with him. He's really involved in, in a church there. And by the way, this is like a brand-new church plant. Just, he's really involved in a church there. You know, it's called, you know, XYZ Church. The look on that guy's face immediately changed. He literally took a step back from me and said, those people are not nice. And the conversation was done. (laughs) So much for making a connection with that guy. But man, that has stuck with me. Those people are not nice. May it never be said of you. Love one another well. Love God. Love others. Then we can talk about the second part, the Great Commission. This is also found, the first part's found in Matthew. If you've been in church for a while, you know some of these verses. You may have memorized them. I don't know. But Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. when um, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth. Has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Then we move over into the, into Acts. Another very famous one for us, uh, Acts one. We'll start in verse six. You know, and too many times when we quote that, we really start with verse 19. Go, therefore. We really need to back it up to to verse 18. Because, again, it's Jesus talking to them. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. All of it. You know, it is by his authority that we get to do anything. And because he has all the authority, therefore, we go. And I want Jesus' authority to go before me. I want his authority to go with me because if I try to do anything as Joel, that usually is not going to end up too very well. Same probably could be said for you. His authority is what makes all of this possible. We go. Literally, as you go, or in your going, it gives us the clear idea that that as we live our lives, day in, day out, At home, school, work, in our community, among friends, family, strangers. We go with Jesus' authority. And does that mean we don't intentionally ever go somewhere or get to someone to tell them about Jesus? Of course not. But it clearly gives us the idea that this idea of as we go, it's just a daily part of our lives. Go. Make disciples of all nations. Don't miss that part. All nations, all peoples. We make disciples. Now, you and I know we, I don't save anyone. That's the work of Jesus alone through his authority and power. But we certainly can point them to Jesus, can't we? We can bring them along. We can help them to learn. And as it talks here, we can teach them to observe all that he's commanded us. We have a responsibility to do this. And as we are making disciples, Which that's part of making a disciple, isn't it? By the way, a disciple, I'm afraid sometimes we've gotten this wrong too often. Making a disciple is just not making sure they have a get out of hell free card. It's also helping helping them learn how to live with hope in this life as well as with hope for the next life. But we make disciples. We make disciples who in turn make disciples, who in turn make disciples. And that cycle continues and continues. All nations, baptize them. Again, I mean, baptism does not save anyone. We know this. I mean, it's, if we're being really honest, it's not even required to get into heaven. Just ask the thief on the cross. But it's important. You know, even though it doesn't have salvation power, it's important. it was important enough for Jesus to do it. You know, I've heard so many times through the years. You know, baptism is this outward sign of an inward of an inward experience, and it's so true. You know, we make a we make a decision to become a follower of Jesus, and because of that was, uh, that decision, baptism is one of those markers of our faith. You know, we're declaring to the world that the old life is dead, and we rise to walk in newness of life. Curious, in some ancient church history, I. They used, to do not, they used to do what was called a triple baptism. They didn't just dunk you once, they dunked you three times Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I'm really glad we think one dunking is sufficient these days. But, you know, anyway, we walk in newness of life. You know, it's a command that we baptize, we go. And as we do, we make disciples, we teach, we baptize. By whose authority do we do it? It's Jesus' authority. Because he is with us to the very end of the age. His authority that has been given to him and him with us to the end of the age are really the bookends for us in all of this discipling, baptizing, teaching. Because this is the only power we got. Then there's the Acts Commission. I know especially for us in Baptist life, we'll so often quote Acts 1-8. Or we'll talk about Acts 1-8 strategies and Acts 1-8 this and Acts 1-8 that. Again, I want to back it up to verse 6. You know, this is his followers. They're come together with him one last time. And I have to get a little bit amused and a little sad at the same time. Will you restore the kingdom of Israel now? They're still thinking of a geopolitical kingdom. And, and his response, yeah, it's not really any of your business. He doesn't just leave them there, does he? You know, because, you know, that's just being handled by God who has the, the authority. God who has the authority, who's just given all the authority to Jesus. But anyway. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Man, there is a power that comes to us and you know, when we become a follower of Jesus, a power from this triune God that, that we worship and serve. What's that power there for? Let's be witnesses. Witnesses of Jesus. Now, it is a legal term. You know, we all know what you know, a witness. You, you, you have seen something. You, you, your firsthand account, you know, an encounter. And because you have, you're called to give an account, a witness of what you've seen and experienced. You know, the whole, do you tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to help you, God, kind of thing. It, it is a, a legal term here. But we give an account. We give an account of what we've seen, what we've experienced. When we have mission teams, I know you guys have, have a, a group going out a little bit later on to New Orleans, I think it is. I'm not telling you to do this. I'm just, anyway. When we have a mission team prepping to go somewhere, uh, I make them write out their, their story their salvation story, their, their testimony. I'm really picky about this, just so you know. It has to be, it can't be any, really more than three minutes, you know, elevator conversation. Uh, and you have to be able to tell your life before Jesus, how like, you met Jesus and what a difference he's made in your life since. Now, the reason I do that, I'm old, I've been in church a while now, but um, I heard folks, especially people who became followers of Jesus later as an adult, share their testimony. And they can tell you all this horribly glorious bad stuff they did all up front. And then this amazing transformation of meeting Jesus. And that's kind of where it stops. I'm like, what's happened to you in the last 25 years? And like, what's Jesus done for you since you became a follower of his? Those three things, three minutes. Oh, and by the way, I have a list of what I call churchy words that you cannot use. Because average Joe Pagan out there, doesn't have a clue what some of those words mean, or maybe he has a really twisted view of what some of those words mean. We've got to be able to share our story in a way that makes sense to the people who don't know the words we know. Witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. You know, in the context of Jesus' day, For the folks listening to him, Jerusalem, man, that was easy. That was home. You're to be a witness. Your story, where you live, work, play every single day. Judea, larger, you know, if you look at concentric circles, it's kind of like the next grouping. Maybe South Carolina, maybe the United States. Clearly the idea that we intentionally go beyond our local area to share our story Let me back up to Jerusalem. You know those baptizing all nations? Jerusalem, our local area. Did you know there are at least 90 different identifiable people groups who live in our area? There are. And that number is growing. The nations are coming to us. Don't ignore them. Judea, larger geographic area. Samaria, could it be just like the next ring in the circle? Could be. I think it may be more than that. Again, go back in context to Jesus' day. What was Samaria? Well, it was the place they actively sought to avoid, wasn't it? Why? Because the Samaritans lived there. There There's no good low-down half-breeds. How dare they? So I can't help but think that Jesus is very deliberately telling them, if you're going to be my witnesses, You're going to those places and those people too. And if he's telling them that, he's telling us that. So, who are the people you actively seek to avoid? Despise, man, that is such a harsh word. Who are the people you just really don't like? They make you uncomfortable. I do work on staff with the Greenville Baptist Association. I didn't say that earlier up front. That's okay. We have long-term mission partnerships. One of those is in New England. We're helping them to uh, plant some churches up there. We've helped them with two. Next year, we're rolling into two more new partners. One of those is in Plymouth. You know, the whole Mayflower, Pilgrims, Plymouth Rock, that really isn't very much. Um, if you ever go up there, you'll, you'll, you'll see. But Plymouth is one of them. The other one is in this little town called Needham. Needham, Massachusetts. It's kind of southwest of Boston a bit. Beautiful little New England town. I mean, it really is a beautiful town. And we were there back in in the spring meeting with the the church planter and and looking at this stuff. Man. It's a pretty town, but but here's the demographic of it. It is very white. You know, okay, I can I can live with that one. You know, I'm white. It is very rich. And it is very liberal. Even their crosswalks are painted rainbow. It's going to be very hard. And those people sometimes can make me a little uncomfortable, can't they? Because they can be in my face about some of what I believe, and I have to be able to defend that to them in a way that makes sense. So I'll just take the team to Plymouth and I'll let somebody else take the team. No, it can't go that way. We go to them too. You are going to New Orleans. Fascinating city. Man, talk about a melting pot of people. There are some interesting people in New Orleans. If you've never been before, you will find out. And some of them may make you a little uncomfortable. You still go. And be a witness. In the ends of the earth. Literally wherever people may be found. And by the way we don't wait until we have all the locals saved. Before we do the next to the next to the next. This is a both end. We're going local. While we're doing regional. While we're doing global. Which is also fine again for the association. We have a long term partnership in Asia. We're in um, in Malaysia, i will be there, I've been there last year, i will be there back you know, soon, uh, in November this year. Uh, Malaysia, huh, 12-hour time difference, so the other side of the planet, uh, it, it costs, I mean, it, it's at least $3,000 to get there. You know, it's a 10-day trip minimum. You know, all the background stuff and all of the forms and the registrations and the passports and whatever shots you may need to get, I probably just lost some of you right there, sorry. Um... You know, you got to learn about Hinduism and Islam and learn how to ask good questions and how to listen really well. And, you know, and then when you get all that, you know, we're, we're, at the, we're at the airport and here we go, you know, for 30 hours worth of air travel, which no one can prepare you for. It's during the, the, the flights and all that kind of stuff, I do have to remind myself about those, those early missionaries, you know, Lottie Moon, Adnarum Judson, others, who spent months, on a relatively small ship, going through all kinds of adversities to get to their destination. You know, I can make it for 30 hours in planes and airports. Then we arrive, Kuala Lumpur. First thing you know is it is hot and humid all the time. All the time. Uh, I, 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 I went to iced coffee because I just couldn't do hot coffee while I was there, which is really kind of sad. But, you know, anyway, I'm, I'm a coffee drinker. And and we're there among these peoples, and and we we do that because, I mean, Jesus tells us, you know, the ends of the earth, and they need to hear. It's a Muslim country. There's a lot of Hindus that are there as well. I mean, you know, that's way less than two percent Christian. They need to hear. And how are they going to hear if we don't tell them? I like movies. Uh, I really do like the Mission Impossible movies. I, I I'll confess that. Tom Cruise is a weird dude, but he makes some really fascinating movies. Um, <laughs> you know, and um, anyhow, uh, if you ever watch the movies, you, you, know, you know the line, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to save the world with two seconds left on the clock or, or whatever. You know, your mission, should you choose to accept it. The thing for us, those of us who are followers of Jesus We don't really get a choice to accept it. The choice we have comes earlier. The choice we have is what we do with Jesus. You know, what do we do with him? We really have two options. You can accept him. You can reject him. You know, if you've never come to a point where you understand your need for Jesus, where you've acknowledged you can't do this on your own, where um, you've asked Jesus to take control of your life, well, then you reject it. And again, maybe that sounds harsh, but, but it's, it's real and honest. If you are a follower of Jesus, you've made this choice to accept him, which comes with his authority and his mission. One of the old hymns uh, that I actually do like is an old hymn. It's uh, I've decided to follow Jesus. The, the, the lines are very simple. You know, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. No turning back. We have a mission to accomplish. The mission of the church, it's not rocket science, folks. It's not a comfortable building either. Our preferred music our great programs. Love God. Love others in there, out here. While you do that, go. As you go, Make disciples, reach, baptize, teach. You do that here, there, and everywhere. That's the plan. Let's get at it. Father, thank you. Thank you that, that you loved us enough to send Jesus to die for us as unworthy as we are. God, thank you that, that you love the church with all of our imperfections and everything else about life for us that is just not ideal. And yet, God, we're it for you. May we be found faithful. May we be found faithful as we go. May we be found faithful in our own lives as we learn, as we grow as disciples. May we be found faithful as your witnesses from here to the ends of the earth. And for Father, for what is accomplished through the fold and through other churches, God, that may be pleasing and acceptable to you, may it further your kingdom. I pray this in Christ's name.